let's open up in a word of prayer, shall we? Bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love and your grace and your forgiveness that you offer us each and every day, the mercy that is so richly given to us. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, so that we may have abundant life. May the word today, your word, bring us hope, encouragement, and challenge us in areas where we need improvement. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Well, good morning, and uh, it is good to see you all here today, and uh, it is so good, again, to be in our building here at Abundant Life Chapel. So why don't we just greet each other with a COVID-friendly greeting, a wave. Good to see you. Glad you're here. Love what you're wearing back there. And uh, if you're joining us online and your coffee mug is handy, why don't you grab your coffee mug and let's give each other the coffee mug. Salute. Cheers. Glad you came. At the close of our service today, our time together, we'll partake in communion, in reflecting, in remembering, in honoring the sacrifice that our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, made for all of us. And if you're joining us online today and you haven't already prepared some juice or crackers to join in, please feel free to press pause at any time. Last week, we took a, a look at a story or a parable that Jesus told called the lost son. In other translations of the Bible, it's referred to as the prodigal son. For those of you that didn't join us last week or you're a little unfamiliar with this story, here's the Coles Notes version. A father had two sons. A younger son that demanded that his father give him his entire inheritance. And his dad gave into his request, gives him all that he wants, and the younger son takes it and leaves home. And he ends up in spending his entire inheritance on wild living. When the money runs out, well, he's got to go get a job, right? But the only employment that he could find was working on a pig farm. Now, the conditions on this pig farm were pretty harsh. This kid had reached the lowest of his lows. See, even the pig food was starting to look good. He finally comes to his senses, and he decides to return home. With his home in view, his dad comes running out to him and giving him a heartfelt welcome home. After a moment of two, when they finally uh, disengage from their loving embrace, the father and son embrace, the son starts to recite a speech. He's been rehearsing all the way home. He says, Dad, I've sinned against God and I've sinned against you. I'm not worthy to be called your son. Will you take me as your servant, rather? Well, his dad won't have anything of it. Instead, his dad calls out to his servants and says, Hey, grab the clothes uh, to uh, uh, grab a, a fresh robe so he can clothe my son and grab the family ring and put it on his finger and, and some footwear as well because his feet, he's got nothing on his feet. And then he gives this order. He says, it's going to be party time. My son who was once dead is now alive. My son who was lost, but now he is found. We're going to celebrate. We're going to have a party. Now, it's a great story about redemption, vindication, restoration, and reconciliation. This dad was quick to forgive and quick to restore his son to his rightful place in the family again. This dad is truly super dad. This story could have easily been titled, The Forgiving Father. 
Now, last week, we also looked at the meaning of the word prodigal. And prodigal means this, recklessly extravagant and lavish. The young son's sin was recklessly extravagant and lavish. The forgiveness and mercy and grace of his father was recklessly extravagant and lavish. And God's love for each of us is recklessly extravagant and lavish. Well, today I want to look at another lost son in this story or parable that Jesus told. You see, the father had two sons. And today we'll learn that really both sons were lost. Now I'm going to pick up the story where we left off yesterday in Luke chapter 15, verse verse 25. So let's go there together. Luke chapter 15 verse 25. And it starts off by saying, meanwhile, the older son was in the field. Where was the eldest son? Well, he's in the field doing what is expected of him. He's doing the responsible thing by serving his dad. He's doing what is right and good. Meanwhile, all these shenanigans are happening in the home, right? He doesn't even have a clue of what's going on. And in Luke chapter, uh, again, we'll look at the second half of verse 25. It goes on to say, when he came home, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. You're, and, and so, you know, he's, he's probably wondering, did I miss something? Did, did dad say something this morning about a party that we were having or entertaining some guests or maybe... Was I even invited? Or did dad forget about me? What's really going on here? And then in verse 27, the servant answers back. He says, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Now, imagine what's going through this this eldest son's head for a moment. Think about this for a moment, right? He must be in such utter disbelief. He's like, what? My spoiled kid brother has the nerve to come back home after what he pulled? And what? Dad just invites him back with arms wide open? Unbelievable. Inconceivable. What's dad thinking? How can he allow him to walk back into our lives without reprimand or punishment or some disciplinary action? Instead, he throws a party? This doesn't make any sense at all. For those who can identify with the eldest son in this story, does it make any sense to you? It doesn't to me. After all, we reap what we sow, right? If you choose wild and reckless living and, and, and you, you are recklessly extravagant and lavish in your sinful life, in sinful activity, then be prepared for the follow and the consequences that will follow. But that's not what seems to be happening here at all, is it? At least not according to the eldest son. All all he hears about is, is about his kid brother coming home and his dad throwing this big, extravagant party. Let's pick it up in verse 28. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. He wasn't going to have anything of it. He wasn't going to have any part of it. He was bothered by this. He was angered by it. He was offended by it. Now, let's think about this for a moment. Before we cast any judgment on this eldest son, let's imagine things from his perspective. 
See, he's always done the right thing, the responsible thing. And, and when his kid brother left home, who picked up the pieces? Who picked up the slack in, in, on running the family farm? And when his brother left, who was the one who consoled their brokenhearted father? And, and when his brother left, who was the reliable one their father could count on? In the eldest son's mind, his kid brother would have to earn his place back into the family. Him simply returning was not enough. He'd have to prove himself. He'd have to prove that he was worthy to be part of this family. Now, the story goes on and the father finds out that his eldest son, the good son, is back from working in the fields. But he's refusing to join in on the celebration. And what does the forgiving father do at this point? Well, let's pick it up in in verse 28. It says, so his father went out and pleaded with him. His father went out and pleaded with him. Dad comes out and tries to reason with his son, the good son, the reliable son, the responsible son, the son who's always done the right thing, the son who chose to remain by his father's side. He doesn't come out to condemn or even discipline or force his son to come and join in the festivities. Out of humility, he pleads with him to reconsider. To reconsider. Now remember, this is not the norm for the Jewish culture at the time. Children were expected to fall in line. They were to show unwavering respect and honor for their parents. The actions of this son was disrespectful and inappropriate behavior. At this moment, this son became the rebellious one. Now listen to how the eldest son responds to his pleading father in verses 29 to 30. Look, all of these years, I've been slaving for you and, you've, and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, right, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? For him? You kill the fattened calf for him? The eldest son doesn't see a forgiving father. He sees a weak father who's being recklessly extravagant by lavishly throwing a party for his younger brother who doesn't deserve it in any way. After all, why on earth would we reward bad behavior? And, and, and why, not sh- why not rather show favoritism towards the son who's been responsible and reliable and obedient that, is, that has been faithful? Why not show favoritism towards that son? And listen how the father responds to him in verses 31 to 32. He says, my son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to come, or we had to celebrate and be glad because This brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Oh, the aching heart of a father who didn't even know if his youngest son, his youngest child was dead or alive. And it didn't matter to him how his son had squandered that inheritance. All that mattered was that his son had returned home. Now, I wonder how many times each day the, the father would go into the veranda and, and look out to, to see if maybe today is the day my son would come home. Maybe today he'd be looking on that road where his son had left hoping that he would return. 
Anybody in this room, anybody in this room, you have a wayward child. You have a wayward child that has left home and, and, and has cut off all contact with you. Maybe you have a child and they're caught in addiction and, and it's breaking your heart into a thousand little pieces. Maybe your, your child has made some lifestyle choices that, aren't, that you're not in agreement with at all and, and it's caused a rift in your relationship and it's grinding together. And, and maybe your child has decided to walk away from their faith and belief in Jesus Christ. Unless you're a parent, it's hard to empathize with the father in this story. See, I love my children. I got four of them. And I love them passionately and desperately. And there's not a, a lot that I wouldn't do for them. I love them each and I would bend over backwards. I'd even offer my life for them. But I can also empathize with the eldest son here. You see, he's chosen to do the right thing, the responsible thing. He was obedient and faithful and stood by his father's side when his other brother wouldn't. And we don't know for sure what all he had to endure. How many times, right, did he hear his dad weep for his younger son or his younger brother at night? Maybe his dad had slipped into a deep depression and, and had literally, this, this son had literally had to run the entire family farm on his own. Maybe he had his own dreams and aspirations of one day going out on his own but felt obligated to stick by his dad's side instead. This older son had some deep down resentment towards his brother. And what about those who have gathered here today, right, or gathered online? You identify with the, with the younger brother. What was, you know, and, and, and I want to just ask you, what was your experience when you returned home and rekindled or reconciled your relationship with your parents or, or with a loved one or a family or a friend? Did it resemble like it did in this story? Or was it much more like how the eldest son wanted things to, to turn out and play out? Maybe you haven't uh, decided to reconcile yet because of uncertainty of how it'll all work out. My counsel to you and to anyone that's at this juncture, at this junction in your life, is include God. Invite God, our Heavenly Father, to be a part of that process. Now let's go back and analyze why Jesus told this story. See, the parables that Jesus told were earthly stories that have heavenly meaning. And uh, he had just finished sharing three short stories, the, the lost sheep and the lost coin and, and now the lost son in Luke chapter 15. And, and the theme of these three stories was about celebrating what was once lost but is now found. Now, in order to gain uh, a proper context of this story, we must recognize who Jesus' audience was. And, and in order to do that, we need to go back to the beginning of chapter 15. And so let's look at the first two, chap or two verses in uh, Luke chapter 15. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Eats with them. The tax collectors and the sinners were like the younger son in this story. While the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were like the eldest son. And, and Jesus, by telling this story, revealed the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless, and relentless love of God, our Father. 
That is why he told the story. You see, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they, 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 they followed strictly the Mosaic law given by God in the Old Testament. And they were like super religious people. They had they took great pride in showcasing their obedience to the law. You know, they, they had this elitist mentality and it was very intimidating to, to those that were tax collectors and sinners. You know, their positions were so lofty that not many could rise up to their level. And so often they would look down on others who weren't them. They even had the gall. Now think of this, they even had the gall to judge and question Jesus. Talk about arrogance, right? Talk about being arrogant. See, it irritated these religious leaders when Jesus shared that God is recklessly extravagant when he lavishes his love and forgiveness on sinners. The view, they view God as a God of, uh, who punishes and judges sinners, a God of wrath. You see, this story illustrates that both the sinner and the saint are worthy of God's inheritance, worthy of God's unconditional love and, and forgiveness, and regardless of what they've done. After Jesus died and rose again, it became abundantly clear that it's not what we do that offers us eternity in heaven with God, but rather what Jesus has done for us. God's off, uh, offers equal opportunity for all people, no matter which category we fall into, the sinner or the saint. But it is up to us to receive his grace. But allow me to clarify something here. That doesn't mean that we can go and do whatever we want and keep on sinning recklessly. No, that's ridiculous. See, that's pig pen living. And pig pen living doesn't offer us a pleasant future or a hope of, and blessing, right? Living life at home with our Heavenly Father is about choosing to live righteously in accordance to what is written within the pages of the Bible. This story illustrates how our past uh, decisions we've made in the past are, are our history and that our future becomes his story of love and forgiveness being lived out in us. Now let me rephrase that. When you choose to live for God, your history is history. Your future becomes his story. Whatever has been written in the chapters of your life before coming to Christ no longer matters. What does matter is what's being written on your life uh, after it has been transformed by Jesus Christ. See, the old is gone, and the new has come again. Your old ways of doing things are history. This new way of living is his story, our Heavenly Father's story of love, forgiveness, and grace being lived out in us. We are no longer defined by our sin, but we are refined by his love that was so evidently put on display through his one and only son, Jesus Christ. Jesus came to earth to reveal the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless and relentless love of God, our Father. And because he is the good, good father, our identity is no longer tied to our sin. Our identity is now defined by his love, his grace, and his forgiveness. Amen? Can I get an amen in here today? Both sons lost sight 
of the blessing of being in their father's house. Both sons. The younger son left his father's house to go and do his own thing. The eldest son, though he remained and did what was good, refused to enter his father's house. One son left selfishly while the other one left offended. Spiritually speaking, both sons left their father's house. Both sons left their father in this story. Both sons were lost. Both sons were lost. Sometimes we can get so caught up in doing church that we forget what we are and that we are the church. We lose sight and then we also lose sight of the church's mission. Sometimes we can get so caught up in doing things for God that we forget to sustain our relationship with God and, and, and remember why we do it. So we get so focused on what we do that we forget why we're doing it and then who we're doing it for. Sometimes we can get so wrapped up in our own self-righteousness and our own personal holiness that we leave those who are lost in the dust, those who are needed in the Savior in the dust. And sometimes we can be so heavenly minded that we become no earthly good. Bob Pierce, founder of World Vision International and Samaritan's Purse, said this. He says, let my heart be broken by the things that break the heart of God. When we have a right relationship with God, we care about what God cares about. In this story, right, Jesus illustrates what God, that God has compassion for the lost, whether the lost be the, the young son or the eldest son. And did you notice that the father went out to both sons? The young son, while he was still far off, the father ran to him. And, and the eldest son, who refused to go inside to the party, the father went to him and pleaded with him. You see, God's heart breaks for those who are lost. Will we allow our hearts to be broken by the things that break the heart of God? Will we have a passion for the lost? Will we allow our hearts to be broken for the lost? Maybe today you identify with one of these lost sons. And you've recognized that you're in need of the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless, and relentless love of God. In Revelation 3.20, it says, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. Those are the words of Jesus. Though at times it can feel like that God is a million miles away, truth, truthfully, he's right there knocking at the door of our hearts. And all we have to do is open it up and welcome him in. If you would like to do that today, I want to lead you in a simple conversation that we call prayer. If that's you today, I'll get you to repeat after me. Will all of you in the room join with us? And those that are online, could you join with us and help those that are praying this for the first time to pray with us? Let's do this together. Dear Heavenly Father, I know that I am a sinner in need of your grace. And I ask for your forgiveness. I believe Jesus Christ is your Son. 
I believe that he died for my sin and that you raised him to life. I want to trust in him as my savior and follow him as my Lord. From this day forward, in Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Congratulations. Listen, if you prayed that prayer today, I want you to tell someone. Tell a friend, tell your mom, tell your dad, tell a sibling. Just tell someone about the decision that you made to follow Jesus today. Make it feel real. And then contact us here at Abundant Life Chapel. Uh, you, can, you can either call us or email us. The info will be on the bottom part of the screen here. Or you can visit our website or connect with us on our social media platforms, Facebook and Instagram. We want to hear from you and celebrate with you. Why? Because that's what we do at Abundant Life. Our youth director will now come, Jesse, and, and he will lead us in a song that will nicely conclude our series on the lost son as we prepare our hearts for communion. And I search the world But it couldn't fail me A man's empty praise Treasure the faith Never enough And you came along
Thank you, Jesse, for leading us in that powerful song, Graves in the Gardens. I love those words because the God of the mountain is the God of the valley. And there's no, not a place your mercy and grace won't find me again. Oh, there's nothing better than you. Only God can take what was dead and give it life again. Spiritually speaking, there was a time when we were all dead, but because of Christ's sacrifice on the cross, we've been given a new life, a new life in Christ. Our spiritual grave has now become a spiritual garden. Thank you, Lord. Amen? The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning at verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This right here represents the broken body of Christ that was broken for all of us. Let us partake of it together.
Paul then goes on in verse 25. He says, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. The contents of this cup represents the blood of Christ, the, 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 the blood sacrifice that Christ made for all of our sin. But it also represents a new covenant that was made between God and his people. Those who have made Christ the Lord over their lives by choosing to live for him, by obeying and doing what he says that is written in, his, in God's Bible. Jesus offers us a new bloodline, a bloodline that isn't tainted by sin and death, but rather gives us new life, a royal bloodline that is directly connected to God our Father, a bloodline that will never die and goes beyond all time and space. That's the new covenant that God offers us through his son, Jesus Christ. Let us partake of this together. And then Paul further writes in verse 26, for whenever you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. We do this once a month to remember and honor the sacrifice that Jesus made for all of us so that we will never, ever forget. And it serves as a reminder that one day, one day he is coming back. Let us close in prayer at this time, Heavenly Father, I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who came to this earth to pay a debt he did not owe because we owed a debt we could not pay. And so, God, we thank you. We thank you for loving us that much that you extravagantly, right, lavished us with your love and with your grace. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for loving us recklessly and relentlessly. Father, we give all praise and glory to you today. Lord, I pray a blessing on the people today. Those that are gathered here and those that are gathered online, I pray, Father, that today's word would just take root in their life. And that, Father, in those areas that we need to make some tweaks and changes, that, Father, you direct us. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, we are able to make those changes. So God, today, be with your people as we go out from these walls or from our homes. Lord, may we be the ambassadors and carriers of your gospel and of your love and grace and forgiveness. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen.